are listening to The Conversation here on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. To kick off our show exploring the meaning of aloha, we revisit the story of Tutu Hamana, the Kauai Kapuna said to have originated the shaka. Hamana is the subject of an upcoming film directed by Stephen Sue in partnership with Kamehameha Schools. It's entitled Shaka, the Power of Aloha. Sue says that Hamana embodies the spirit of aloha and hopes the film will kick off a movement in Hawaii and beyond. Sue shares how he came to spearhead this film. The Shaka project started a couple years ago. I happened to be in Laie and I met some of the kapuna. And they said, oh, well, you want to know about the Shaka story? We'll tell you the Shaka story. And they had told me that they never told it to anybody full length before. And then I started asking around town after that, how many people know about this story? And literally nine out of 10 people have zero knowledge about it. Maybe another half of that percent that's remaining knew something about it. It has something to do with a guy losing his fingers. They didn't know the whole lineage of the story. And certainly they didn't know the meaning of the story. So the Kapuna got back in touch with me and they said, would you tell our story? And I thought, well, this is a Hawaiian ethnic story. That's kind of sketchy for me to like get in there and do that. I was kind of afraid of it, to be frank. And they said, well, we really need to tell the story because we're in our 80s and we're not going to be here that much longer. And we want the keiki to have this story. It's a very important story. So I thought, wow, well, that's worth at least a try. So I brought a crew up to Laie and we taped half a dozen interviews. It just turned out to be the most galvanizing thing I'd ever heard. And it wasn't until maybe a few months later when I was in a meeting with Lauren Name of Kamehameha Schools. And she said, oh, Steve, you know, what projects do you have going at Bisgenics? Uh, that's our nonprofit. And normally they fund things like our Lemonade Alley program, which is a lemonade stand contest, or our Project Lemon Tree, where we grow lemon trees on school campuses. She looked right at this one piece of paper. She says, Shaka, what is that? And so I explained it to her and I thought, you're not gonna be interested in this. This is like way, very speculative. And she goes, no, Kamehameha Schools needs to be part of this. And so she said, how much do you need? I told her how much I needed. She said, we'll guarantee that. We'll give you some to start. Go out and try to raise the rest. So we raised some money in addition to what KS gave us initially, and we started production on this. And I already had some tape in the can, which was great, and it was truly galvanizing tape. So that's how it got started. And interestingly enough, whenever I talk to people, first thing out of their mouths, if they're knowledgeable about this area at all, is they say, who do you work with up there? And I say, oh, Auntie Kayla. And as soon as I say Auntie Kayla, they're like, oh, then you're good because she's it. Well, you know, I I think folks will appreciate that you come to this project with humbleness. You were wondering, am I the one to tell the story? And yet they asked you. Amazing, right? Yeah. And so I guess they figured out because I'm part of a nonprofit and I really didn't want to tell the story, they knew that I came from the right heart. And certainly as we've discovered this story, and it has been a quest, it's a very long quest. It goes literally around the world. But really what I discovered is it's a Hawaii story for all Hawaii people which means that it has to be inclusive of everybody that's here. So everything we're doing with this film is to be entirely inclusive and bring in all the groups. You know, we've talked to OHA and certainly KS. KS has provided three cultural consultants. We're being very honorable to the story. But what's great is the authentic story is the hope for the future of the entire planet because the Shaka is all about the Aloha spirit. And the man that originally taught us the Shaka and what it meant really was the Kapuna of Kapuna. And this is what our current day Kapuna tell us. And they all knew him as children. So imagine like some of that's 80 years old now, they're sitting tying fishing nets with Tutu Hamana, which is the man that lost his fingers. 
And he tells them a story about how he lost his fingers. Well, there's a lot of question about how did this man lose his fingers in the first place. Turns out he told a different story to every kid he encountered. So hilarious, like leg polar, tall teller of tales. It's super funny because when you cut them together as a film, it makes him a very colorful human being. It's a great portrait of Hamana. And he lost his fingers in an accident on the plantation? Is that a that Well, that's works? sort of the leading story. It almost doesn't matter how he lost them. And you'll discover in the film some of the tall tales. I will tell you that there was one story where he was on the boat and the shark jumped out of the water and bit him off. He told one child that. Another keiki he told, I was throwing dynamite in the water to harvest the fish because he was the master fisherman of La'i, right? And so his goal was to feed the people but not fish out the reef because the reef in that area, everybody lived off of. This was not an akupoa that was super like productive all the lands. It had some land, but not huge. In fact, the whole Kahuku sugar mill area was created out of really sand dunes and wastelands by the Mormon church. So LDS really had a lot to do with the whole blossoming of that side of the island. And that's why the Mormon church, even the Polynesian Cultural Center, is part of their invention. Many people may not know that there is a statue (laughs) there, a sculpture over on the campus. You know what? There's actually three statues. Three. There's a statue at the BYU campus. There's a statue at Polynesian Cultural Center. And there's a wooden statue that's lying on the ground at the old site of the Kukuku Sugar Mill. When our director, Alex Bacheri, and line producer Bryson Chun, they were out there shooting some B-roll. They noticed a statue laying in the weeds. And they thought, what is that? It turns out to be a statue of Tutu Hamana. Wow. Yeah, so there's amazing things that we found along the way, not the least of which is you'll discover the, the lineage of the word Shaka in the film. It actually comes from Japan. So Shakyamuni is the first Buddha in Japan. And that Buddha stands for, fear not, you will be safe. And this is why it became like a super important story for anybody that was a train jumper. And that's actually the real story was that kids would try to jump the train that ran from Sunset Beach to Kaneohe. And when they would look out for Tutu Homano, who was a security guard on the train, he had many jobs. This is one of his jobs. So when they would look and they would say, oh, Tutu's not looking, they'd flash this sign because he lost the three fingers. So they were mimicking him. But the meaning of that was actually consistent with what the Buddha in Japan would tell you is, you know, the whole idea of fear not, live a little bit. And that's probably why surfers picked it up, you know, because that's like Eddie would go, jump the mm-hmm. wave. It's a little dangerous, but you'll live large. You will find nirvana. That's another kind of Buddhism connection. And then they added the whole thing, hang loose, right? So there's a little bit of a happy-go-lucky theme to it. Along the way, there were guys like Frank Fossey who added the shake. You know, if you use it for campaigning and you're standing on the side of the street, you, of course, would shake it because animation attracts attention. Right. You wave a shaka. I remember doing many stories where he would, and a lot of his supporters would, have the foam shaka, yeah. the giant, yeah. to, to get your attention. All and yeah. all those yellow stickers, they were everywhere. Yeah. And in fact, you know, think of this. Like, he was the renegade mayor here. He was like a real rabble-rouse. He was like for real, like raw. He was, yeah, he was. <laughs> fear not, it's okay, go for it. He was literally the meaning of the shaka. So it's my no happenstance that he was the guy. And of course, there were others like Lippius Spinda, who was a used car salesman and a part-time actor. He was the first to take it on to 5.0, the Jack Lord version of 5.0. So all of these pieces helped the story go global. And of course, the biggest global side of it was the surf community taking it out and pushing it from California to Australia and around the globe. And of course, that went to all 
extreme sports because of the same sentiment. Fear not, it's okay, go for it. You know, whether you're snowboarding or skydiving, jujitsu is really big on the shaka. So it's kind of a, a global story. And what we found is that at this point in time, it's extremely important story because we've got the pandemic and we've got acidic politics and everybody's like all freaked out, right? But what does the shaka have to offer? It's literally the way to imbue the aloha spirit in everyone. Just freaking take the chill pill. Just stop it, you know? And believe in the best in people and be hopeful and be inspired and be optimistic. So if Hawaii can share this optimism and good feeling, good sentiment for others with the rest of the world, wow, what an amazing thing because we taught the world something. And it's legit. It's not like a conjured up moral of the story. It's the for real deal. What I love, though, is that this has really become a magnet. You know, you have some pretty high-quality talent that working on the music. <laughs> yeah, we do. So Henry Capono, the legend of music, and really one of my good, good friends now, worked on a couple things together before, but I didn't know him that well. But as soon as this project came up, he's like, wow, this is interesting. And then, of course, his wife, Leslie, who is really, she's the pants of the family. I mean, Henry always wears pants, true. But as Leslie, she's like the business person. And, you know, I have so much respect for both of them. The team is unbelievable because she really keeps it on track. They really help the entire music industry here. When the pandemic started, they put a donate button on their website. They raised over $300,000 and they gave it away to musicians and backline people, all the technicians, all the people that were literally out of gigs now for two years. So they've supported so many families and that's exactly what the Aloha Spirit and the Shaka are about. So when Henry's like, yeah, I wanna do this. And then Leslie's like, well, we're all in or all out. She's pretty cautious. You know, eventually she goes, okay, so we wanna be all in. I go, oh, there's nothing better I could hear than that, right? Now when I see them and, you know, we have our own meetings and at the end of the meeting, so I was like, okay, see you guys later. I love you. And it's like, yeah, I really do love those guys. And they love me back. What a great thing to have out of this kind of a project. And it has nothing to do with Henry being a big guy. It's that they're lovely people. Henry, by the way, in an interview, I asked him, so Henry, are you Hawaiian? He goes, yeah, 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 I'm Hawaiian. I go, oh, okay, how much? And he goes, well, I'm 50% Hawaiian and the other 50% Hawaiian. <laughs> That's the way we do things here, right? It's like he's, yeah, he's very hat in hand and just a lovely human being. And Leslie, 100%, like, wow, what an amazingly smart woman and just the right motivation for doing everything. Yeah, so Henry has actually written an anthem for the picture. There's several pieces that he's already worked on, so full soundtrack, custom. The goal is to do our version of We Are the World, an anthem that we have all of the top musicians here, all the headliners, be on this recording, go in a big studio, tape them. It'll be part of the big show. And the music is just, it's galvanizing. It's literally called The Power of Aloha. And the title of the film is Shaka, The Power of Aloha. We went through some machinations of cultural studies as to whether we can actually use that name because aloha is a Hawaiian word, right? And so eventually KS came back, and this was after maybe three or four weeks study. And they said, yes, this is the right title. This is fine to use. This makes total sense. So I mentioned that to Henry at a meeting, and literally, it was like the next day, he says, Steve, check this out. I want to see if you like this. And he sends me like a 30-second tape, and he goes, I call it the power of aloha. Wow. This is a genius man. I mean, the lyrics, the melody lines, nothing obvious, complete new artistry, total genius man. 
So we're very, very fortunate to have him. We also have a Hawaiian director, Alex Pacheri. It's really funny because Alex at one point is like the third production meeting and he goes, hey, Steve, does it matter if I'm Hawaiian or not? And I said, I never thought you were Hawaiian because you've got an Italian name. And he goes, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm kind of chop suey, right? I'm this and that, but good part Hawaiian. And I'm really excited about this because he does Hawaiian films. And in fact, I think three years ago, he had a People's Choice Award at HIF for The Pit, which is about an emu pit. And I saw the movie. I said, this is a great movie. That's why I was like, I want this guy. He's a really good director. And he knows Hawaiian storytelling. So it just happens that he's an ACM grad, Academy of Creative Media, up at UH, as is our producer, Bryson Chun. And he's also award-winning himself. So he's a writer, producer type. Bryson was at Sundance Lab, so decorated, right? That's hard to get into, and he's just amazing human beings. In fact, our whole Kapuna crowd up in La'e, they love Bryson. They're like, oh, where's Bryson? If Bryson doesn't show for a shoot, they're like, where's Bryson? They're so disappointed. <laughs> like, I don't want to do this interview. Uh, but yeah, they're they're just completely fantastic. And then, I don't know if you know this or not, but our nonprofit, BizGenics, we run a studio for the state now. It's called ID8, and that's spelled I-D numeral 8. If you're interested, id8.org. But it's literally to help the production community get up and out in the state. We want original content produced here. So it's great that we have a studio because it's very convenient for even the Shaka film. We make it available to community organizations, certainly commercial shoots. There's been a lot of film and TV production in there. So just excited to bring all those guys aboard. But then in the process of getting that studio up and running, another production company here called Sight & Sound Productions they're the largest, I think, sort of GAC supplier to the industry here. And they were recently purchased by Brian Spicer, who's the producer and director behind Five O and Magnum. And so I'm sitting in a conference call with him and Dennis Burns, our creative services director. And Dennis ran a studio here as well, 1013 in Pacific Focus. So Dennis at one point had dropped out of the call because he had a bad connection. And go figure, like media people should have perfect connections all the time. They should have lots of, what do you guys call it, wattage and bandwidth and all that. So Dennis drops out. I'm sitting there with Brian. We're twiddling our thumbs. And I didn't know Brian at all. And Brian goes, what else you got cooking? And I said, well, nothing like what you guys do, you know, with like real production. And he said, well, you must have something going in a studio there. And I said, well, we got one little documentary. He goes, tell me about it. I said, well, the Shaka movie, as soon as I said these, I'm in. Mm. So he's exec producer on the project. He's providing gear and, you know, shooters and all sorts of great things at really rock bottom rate for us. So we've been very fortunate to have people with that type of vision aboard. And Brian's goal is to build this creative arts industry in the state. He's not like a guy that's like in and out. He's going to be here. This is his home. Right. You know? he's, he's all in. <laughs> he is all in. He's investing here. He's, he gets a four-acre site in Kaka'ako and reconditions a 20,000-square-foot warehouse. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of production happening in this town. You know, you've got Magnum. You've got, uh, what's the other one, that the cop show? Uh, NCIS. NCIS, which Boy. is huge, right? So, And there's always films going on, vampire movies coming. I mean, there's amazing things going on here. This particular film, though, I know there is a education component, too, which is kind of cool. Yeah, that's how it started, because when Kamehameha schools looked at it, my original goal was to do a very short documentary, like a 30-minute, just what is the story about, what's the origin and meaning of it, teach kids in classrooms, show the film, teach them what is the Aloha Spirit, because Aloha Spirit is a very intellectual construct. That's why there's a law of Aloha in the state. But ultimately, that's really hard for people to like internalize. So as soon as you add something like a moving picture, a film, 
or you add a gesture. Now you've internalized it and you can share it. And we see this gesture everywhere on the planet. We need to own it from here. It's like surfing started from here, Shaka started from here. We need to put our marker in it. This is basically IP for the state of Hawaii yes. and its people. So that's part of it. But the other bigger part of it is what does it actually mean? It's not just some goofy thing that you do. There is a lot of history. There's a lot of meaning. If you study Tutuhamana's history as the Kapuna of Kapuna, what would he do? Kapuna is like wise person, right? He's got all the wisdom of the world in his story. So we can share this. Yeah, and his loss is really our gain. I mean, when you think of, you use this image of the shaka and, you know, you tie it back to Hawaiian values. No, completely right. And I don't think he ever thought of himself as a disabled person or a lost person. More that he, in that day, you just bucked up. A lot of people lost fingers on plantations, you know, and a lot of it, especially with like train cars, those hitches that go together, Yes, mm-hmm. um, people lose digits very easily. So it's like you couldn't just like go on welfare. It didn't exist. You just like buck up and get another two jobs, right? right? <laughs> I mean, in fact, here's how big this man was. So, you know, the old adage with throwing fishing nets, you know, the throw kind, is that the weights that are put on them, they can get very heavy and because you want it to sink fast. So the faster it sinks, the more fish you get. And the bigger the net, the better. So sort of the old adage is like, you can throw a fishing net's like about half your weight. So if you're like 100 pounds, you throw a 50 pound fishing net. His fishing net was 100 pounds, but he was probably three to 350 pounds in 6'10", 6'11". All the photographic evidence of him shows that. So he was, him and two other brothers were known as the three giants. They are gargantuan men, very statuesque. And that's why he always played King Kamehameha in the Ali'i parades uh, at the Hukilaos. And we had a lot of evidence. In fact, he played King Kamehameha in front of Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Wow. How cool is that? Oh, this is such a rich story. It it's is. Amazing. Yeah, 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 it is. And there's more richness to come. I'm not going to ruin the story for people okay. that want to watch it. But, <laughs> but I will tell you that, yes, it is a rich story, but the moral of it is absolutely necessary to the functioning of this world going forward. And we're getting more and more technical and we get more and more intellectual and we're losing humanness on this planet. And I'm a technologist. I run a software company, right? So it's like, I'm not all fun and games with film. I do other things that are very intellectual and to me kind of brain numbing sometimes. And I I wanna guard against that. The value of data is wonderful, but it's not the end all. The end all is love. It's being of service. It's being human, accepting people who they are and celebrating their unique qualities. I think Hawaii is a world leader in that class. I think oftentimes Hawaii is trying too hard to be like the rest of the world. We're kind of insecure on one hand and overly optimistic in some other hands. Like We can be a world leader, but we have to pick our battles very carefully. I think this is a particularly good one to line behind. And we've had some kind of interesting success with that. I was meeting with Don Ige about a year and a half ago now. I meet with her maybe once every year or so. Right, and she's an educator, a first lady. Yeah, she, um, absolutely, um, educator. She went to uh, James Campbell High School and Eva and all that. So we practice at that school a lot as well. And, And so we have a lot of lineage with where she's been. And so she's interested in our programs for education. She took one look at the Shaka program. She goes, oh, we need to do an education summit based on this. How do we teach the keiki? So that has blown up into this whole Shaka Summit that has seven themes. 
So Malama Tourism is being anchored by John DeFries, HTA executive director or the CEO. Mm-hmm. So he's very interested in how do we teach tourists how to travel responsibly here, you know, how to be courteous to our people and not to step out of the bounds. And then likewise, from local residents, how do we teach our local residents to have tolerance for people that come here and support our economy? We can share this place all together. If everybody plays nicely, I think we can all have a great time together. But John's very interested in that aspect of the piece. There's a specific Japanese-Hawaii connection. This is one of the, the absolute authentic ways Japan culture ties with Hawaii culture. So there's a thought leader summit on that. So we're basically doing these like 90-minute pauhanas at our studio, and uh, we tape them. We're actually paused right now because of COVID. I was like, oh, man, this is so bad. Everything's getting paused. And these are small. These are, you know, 20 people in a room, basically UN style, everybody talking and being recorded. But the idea is how do we think forward how to use the shaka to better the world or certain capacity like education or Japan uh, Hawaii ties or tourism, uh, sustainability, because Hamana was the sustainability expert, and he really lived and breathed it every day. Yeah, so we're pretty excited with that particular piece because it's doing a lot of good in and of itself. And I realized this the other day, this is starting to become a movement. There's so many people like jumping that. on a it. a movement, yes. Yeah, and it's, it's the right underpinning for why are we doing this and what's the eventual outcome. Even the state has jumped in. The Workforce Development Council commissioned us to write a curriculum for at-risk youth at the Youth Services Center. So we did a pilot at Youth Services Center at Dole Cannery between March and June of this year. So I was literally in the classroom every Friday teaching this innovation and entrepreneurship During class. this pandemic. During wow. the pandemic, yeah. And this is really amazing because the kids would kind of dial in by you know, remotely on the computers. By the end, they're all coming in. They were masking up and coming in because they really wanted to be part of it. So we saw this amazing engagement factor with it. But what we did was we taught them the basic story of the Shaka, and then they made Shaka products. So they designed T-shirts for the film that would help support the film. They designed stickers. I detect a little uh, Lemonade Alley. uh. (laughs) Yeah, well, we did that one too as well. Yeah, so, Mm -hmm. you know, like we're known for the whole entrepreneurship Mm -hmm. and innovation space. So it was a, a chance for us to practice what we really knew well. But taking the innovation component, entrepreneurship component, all the way to what I call social venture, which means that you're doing something for a profit, but you're also helping the community. And you may actually even do it just to give all your money to a nonprofit. That's what Lemonade Alley always was, right? That, you know, teams of kids would come in and vent lemonades and lemonade stands, but they would have to choose a charity to donate all their proceeds to. Well, it's amazing when you think of this image, this little image. I mean, it packs a punch. It does, yeah, even though there's only two fingers left. <laughs> <laughs> that was Steve Sue, writer and director of the upcoming film, Shaka, The Power of Aloha. The film is wrapping production and is set to hit the screens in 2022.
Support for HPR comes from Magnolia Boutique and Gallery in Kahala Mall, open daily, with artworks and home furnishings that reflect the life and colors of the islands. Featuring Annie Sloan chalk paint, shipping available. magnolia-hawaii.com Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hi, I'm Marie-Rose Fon Lay, filmmaker and author of Talking Story. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about the quest to preserve ancient spiritual and healing traditions. Beginning Sunday morning at 11. Support for The Conversation comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, whose contributors help Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributor Anchor Systems Hawaii. This is The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. You know, we're calling to mind the meaning of aloha today by revisiting some of our recent conversations on the subject. And here's a question for you. What would aloha look like? That's something that Oahu-based artist Kat Reeder has tried to answer through her work. When she first visited Hawaii 20 years ago, she knew this was the place that she one day wanted to call home. She spoke with The Conversation's Russell Subiono about her recent project, designing the poster for the 2021 film Licorice Pizza, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. I've seen the poster for Mm -hmm. Licorice Pizza. It's very Kat Reeder. (laughs) <laughs> right, it's the vibrant colors, the flowy hair, the rosy cheeks. Yeah, it's very distinctly you. What was the process like for designing and producing the poster? Can you talk about that experience? Yeah, well, they initially asked for three concepts, and they told me a little bit about what the setting was. They didn't at very first. I didn't know a lot about the story, but they told me it revolves around this teenage boy in love with this girl who's a lot older, and they said the setting is going to be California, the valley, and there's going to be some sort of arcade component to it, like the 70s, and they said, you know, we saw your stuff, and you can depict women in a certain way, and so it was like, I was already a fan of Hayam, so mm-hmm. I was like, what? Of course, you know, so I got a chance to draw them, and so they said, just put your spin on this. But just think she she is the center of his universe, like type of thing. So they asked me to put in a few, maybe three concepts. I think I did maybe five or six Mm -hmm. because I was so moved by the idea of a pinball machine. And how do I make this a pinball machine incorporated into a love story? And we sort of went back and forth, but there was a lot of back and forth. And they initially said, hey, let's try one where she's got him in her hands, right? Like, you know, just to be... You know, just let's play with that idea. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the concepts that I submitted early on that he loved. Paul really liked that one. So and then it just we just kind of mixed and matched elements of the different concepts I'd made into one. One thing that I, I really wanted to accomplish with all of this, with the design and being out there is like I really want Hollywood to take notice of the talent that's here. Of course, there's a lot of acting talent, all of that. But there's a lot of artistic talent here that hasn't been tapped yet on on a main, you know, level, like that type of level. And I feel that we're ready, you know, as artists here, we're, we're ready for these huge projects. There's a big hub here. And I hope that I'm part of that, you know, not trailblazer, because there's plenty of artists who have made it big, huge. But I mean, I want to be part of that movement of there's so much art here. You know, and I feel like a lot of people don't know how much there is here. 
and I hope that they take notice. Hey, there's a lot of talent over there in Hawaii. That's that's what we need to you know check out their sensibilities and their voice. Yeah, yeah, I love that too. There's there is a lot of talent here, whether it's artistic or musical. Mm-hmm. You know, we've talked to a lot of local filmmakers here yes. as well. So I kind of get the sense that the world is looking toward us or at mm-hmm. least is starting to really get a sense just like scratching the surface yes. of, of what kind of talent is here so i'm yes. i'm stoked that you got to be part yeah. of that thank you you grew up in miami yes. and moved to honolulu in 2009 yes. the two cities have a few things in common you know being on the ocean mm-hmm. the warm humid weather the mix of ethnicities in the time that you've been here I feel like you've been able to capture the heart and the beauty of our people and our islands in a very unique way in your oh art. Gosh, thank you. Yeah. What's your secret? What do you put into your artwork that translates the spirit of Hawaii so well? I think I feel like I've always had a an island soul because where I'm from, originally from Peru, it's a very it's totally not Hawaii. It's very dry. It's the desert. It's it's different. And I feel like I always had this fascination with the U.S. period, just a fascination. But then once I was in Miami, I felt like this is beautiful, but there's another world that's paradise. There's something else for me. And I got the chance to visit here 20 years ago and was like, this is where my soul lives. So I think that I fell in love with the music. I fell in love with the the people. I fell in love with the women. I feel like Hawaiian women or, you know, local women are, because it's not not just Hawaiian, there's a big mix. I love the idea of cultural mixing. That's a big part of my my art. But there's something about the loveliness and the charm and there's something so warm about the women here, just the people. And I felt that through my Latin sensibilities, I was able to interpret them, give them a Latin twist as far as the colors and being bold and being unafraid to use these colors and movements and things. But I still wanted to honor local women in a way where they felt like their goddesses are beautiful without sexualizing them, without it just, how do I write a letter to the women here? And one thing that it's always hard for me to explain, but I always think, what is the soul of my art? And I asked myself a question when I started this, like, if Aloha had a face, what would she look like? If Aloha were a person, the spirit of Aloha were a person, what would she look like? And there's only one type of woman that came to mind, right? And that's our island women. Like, and I said, that's who I'm going to draw for the rest of my life. If Aloha had a face, what would she be? Who would she be? And that's what I think people resonate with. It resonates with people. That was Oahu-based artist Kat Reader speaking with the Conversations' Russell Sibiano about the impact of aloha in her work. This is The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. Today we're taking a moment to look at the meaning of aloha. We often hear this word during times of joy and celebration, but what is its role during times of hardship and adversity? That's something that poet No Ravilla grapples with in her upcoming collection, Ask the Brindled. It's the first collection by an OEV poet to win the National Poetry Series competition, and it explores the concept of aloha in the face of colonization and sexual violence. She spoke with the conversation Savannah Harriman Pote about the power of words and the role of poetry in fostering connection. Ravilla starts the conversation off with her favorite poetic form. The sonnet is one of my favorite poetic forms. And there is a reason this poetic form 
has emerged again and again over the centuries. There is a reason why contemporary poets, not just white, heterosexual, cis men with property are writing sonnets. There is a reason why Black, Indigenous, people of color, queer, LGBTQIA plus folk, women are writing sonnets because it's such a thinking form. The sonnet is an argument. You have to present an idea or an image in those first four lines, develop them. And then there's an octave where you must deepen or depart. And it's such a tight form of repetition and rhyme, 14 lines, and there really is no hiding in a sonnet. I love the form because it really does push you to be honest while making music. And I find that challenge to be illuminating for myself. And are you someone who has gravitated towards form throughout your poetic career? Or did you find the sonnet as your primary vehicle with which to explore a more structured form of language? I am Mo'o on both sides of my family. That's a cultural identity that I inherit. And because of that, I gravitate to shape-shifting. So I like to experiment, I like to play. And I think received forms get a bad rap because of constraints, but it's just more things to play with and wrap yourself around. Kino. Your black inscriptions sight a kinolo, whose feathered wingspan, nighttime eyes, and punishing beak comprise mo'oku auho. With my oiled hands, I greet her, with hungering for mo'opuna. Mai, she says, reciting from your thigh. Mai, mai e ai. I have traveled from Maui, a lizard, mesmerized by dreams of Ohia and Aikane, lizard filled with smoke. Arrived, I eat, transforming in the forest of your grandmother's memory from lizard, woman, dreaming, licking. Tattoo, permission, land, skin, traveling the night of your kino to sleep your thighs. Ho ao, ho ao, and wake. When you read the poem, Kino, you put this incredible pause, this momentous pause between lizard and woman, when you think of those two forms, how do they exist together? Do you find that you take on different forms based upon the space you're in and the needs that are asked of you? For me, there's no separation. There are different times where the mo'o in me will speak louder, and there are times when the wahine in me will speak louder, but they're in the same body. For Oivi, we have three pico, right? We have one pico to connect us to our akua and our ancestors, one pico to connect us to our presence, 
and then another pico to connect us to our future and our futurity, to our mo'opuna. And it's all in the same kino, it's all in the same body. There are different pilina, there are different ways of relating, there are different ways of being and making connections and understanding stories, making stories, but they're in the same kino. It's a relationship more than a separation for sure. X is a verb. When the torch is more crackling pit of skulls and carrying it means Waikiki at two in the morning, grateful, my love. The pitiful karaoke, pink wash and standing room only, we suffered together. Who said ex-lovers shouldn't hook each other by the bra and talk? Like which Venus would be next to make house and tangle with Gemini law? Who with the horns, forward thinking, bright with faith, will grope in darkness and make me a shape at last? Anything but an edge to leap from. Cliff incarnate. We spent months sharing ghosts, our marrow mistaken for medicine. But about this morning, you still haunt me. I still smell burning skin. wonder since you have these two poems both of which are talking about shape making what do you see as the different perspective between them kino was written in the throes of early romantic love x is a verb was written after a romantic relationship ended but our friendship was still is still very much intact and these two sonnets for me point to the different ways aloha emerges in our life. Kino and X is a verb, I hope, celebrate the fact that aloha is not straight, that there is more to aloha than a couple-centric heteronormative script. You know, so what happens before romantic love, after romantic love, alongside it, and my forthcoming book, Ask the Brindled, is about aloha and not coconut bra aloha, not I just got laid aloha, not that cheap thing sensationalized in hotel lobbies and all you can drink catamaran sunset sails in Waikiki. Ask the Brindled, these sonnets are committed to aloha aina as aina based, intergenerational and complex. So it's not a surprise that shapeshifters like Mo'o haunt and thrive in this book. So for me, Kino was a way to document that even romantic love brings in our kupuna. Even romantic love, especially romantic love, brings in our aina. And X is a verb testifies to the beauty of friendship 
that survives, shapeshifts, evolves out of a romantic relationship that has ended. All these things are connected. And the sonnet for me is, is such a great way to acknowledge that expansiveness of aloha. Now, to get to other particular vocabulary in these poems, <laughs> there are two words that we will be unable to air on our live broadcast because the Federal Communications Commission prohibits us from airing certain language. The 1978 U.S. Supreme Court decision in Federal Communications versus the Pacifica Foundation gave the U.S. government the power to regulate language, certain words, due to indecency. Do you think that there is language that can be indecent? Indecent for whom? You know, what kind of language, what kind of speaker is being centered there as the unspoken default? You know, I, for example, identify as gay, as a lesbian with pride, and I also use the term queer. Now, for some LGBTQ plus elders, the word queer conjures up real life memories of violence, harassment, and shame. For others in the community, the word queer is reclaimed every day as a way to forge a community identity, as a mark of pride, even as a way to heal. Now for non-LGBTQ plus folk, the word queer is indecent because it means for them something deviant, something perverse, a thing removed from humanity. And there's an important difference between a word that has been used as a slur, an object of violence from the outside, and that same word being embraced, rerouted, rerouted by people inside the community as a way toward better language, a way toward better names that we choose. Language is a tool. And, you know, just like any tool, it matters how, how you use it. Leanne Simpson is one of my favorite people in the entire world. And for everyone out there, read everything you can by Leanne Simpson. But in one of her more recent works, as we have always done, she argues the opposite of dispossession is not possession, it's connection. And my mind was blown. What a beautiful paradigm shift. That, that appetite we've been trained into for opposites, it's not possession. It's look at the ways we've been dispossessed of each other. Look at the ways we've been told to remove ourselves from each other. And let's get back to earning each other back. And I feel like as the poet, there are so many ways to connect. And I have this way, poetry and education. And I feel that if there is a gay Hawaiian girl who can't come out yet for any number of reasons, maybe the same reasons I couldn't, and she picks up my book and she reads one poem and feels less alone. I did something good and not just for me or my ego. That's not what this is about. I did something for our Lahui. 
Because the more there are of us standing in aloha and true aina-based complex aloha, the stronger we all are. And I think that poetry combats isolation. When you feel less alone, you love fearlessly, and we need more of that. My name is Nauri Villa. I am an Oedi queer poet and educator. I was born and raised on the island of Maui, and I currently live and love in Palolo Valley on the island of Oahu. To all my mo'o siblings, to all my sly siblings, and if you've read Hanani Kei's sons, you know who I mean. And to all my queer oivi wahine, I see you and I believe you. Mahalo. That was Nou Ravilla in conversation with HPR Savannah Harriman Pote. Ravilla's collection, Ask the Brindle, will be out in 2022. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from Aloha Care, a Hawaii health plan specializing in Medicaid health insurance, committed to the health of Hawaii's communities. AlohaCare.org. It's a big world out there, and we know you have more choices than ever before. Your choice to turn to HPR is one we never take for granted. From trusted news coverage to curated music selections, you expect the best from HPR. Support quality news and music. Join HPR as a new member at $10 a month. Already a member? Consider increasing your monthly gift. Visit hawaiipublicradio.org. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art with the exhibit Treasures of Devotion, Human Connection in Secular and Sacred Art, featuring works from the museum's permanent collection. Honolulumuseum.org. To wrap up our show on Aloha, we're revisiting a classic, the Aloha Friday Song. If you really want to go back, the city and county of Honolulu allowed employees to wear sports shirts during the summers since the 1940s. But Aloha Friday, the practice of Aloha wear on Friday, started in 1966. The story goes that Wilson Cannon, president of Bank of Hawaii, started wearing Aloha shirts on Fridays, and the practice caught on, priming for the weekend with friends and family. In 1982, Kimo Kahuano's Aloha Friday song captured the essence of the Aloha Friday spirit, priming for the weekend with family and friends. HPR's Noe Tanigawa spoke with Kahuano about the inspiration for the famous tune. First of all, I have to mention Paul Dean Nato, who is the brother of Richard Nato. We used to play at a territorial tavern, Bob Hampton, uh, Aloha to Bob and Kay, and many of the great, great acts were there at territorial tavern. You know, Joe and Kapono Beamer, we're talking about the brothers Casimero after they split from Peter Moon Band. We're talking about Gabby Pahinui, Eric Kamai and the Sons of Hawaii, Olomana, Cherry. And in those days, they had the cello. They had this beautiful, wow, sound with Robert Poma and all these guys. So, you know, I'm leaving a lot of wonderful acts out. But on Wednesday, we used to just gather together and we jammed for the secretaries. It was called Secretary's Day. So we jam and play music and stuff like that. And Paul Dean had this song. 
which was Aloha Friday. So he had the beginning of the song. I said, it's okay, but it's a little too slow for me. Can we do it like up country? He goes, yeah, I can. And then we go to record it in a house in Iowa. That song is pre-DUI, okay? So, so it's a carefree, it's local style, not meant to harm or hurt anyone. We know what the rules are today. You know what, there are a lot of things that you bring up in that song, Kimo, that people just, okay, primo beer. They primo still made here, primo right? here in Hawaii in those days. They, they stopped it and then they brought it back. The and local. the disco, remember the disco era? Nobody thought there was going to be any live music anymore. <laughs> they go out to the disco. Yeah, that's it. And then my friends always have to say, hey, brother, buy me a drink, man. So you got to have your credit card. You got to be ready. You got to take care. It's local style. And that was the carefree style then. We end up with, the, okay, there's a break, Kimo. We can do an instrumental or you can say something. And that was a one-take improv. Okay, you know, when you want to get away, I mean, one thing about Friday, man, the working week is over. Yeah, frankly, yeah, I feel good, man. I work hard all week long. I can't wait to get away. You know, down like the beach, I'm cruising this weekend. Yeah, I get one hot concert too, man. That's the most important thing. The same thing too is to get enough money for gas and to go up to the East Coast. I like to steal them beautiful chicks. Yeah. So I gotta just kind of do take my Bank of America. Otherwise, how can I get money? Right. What's that? My friends always say, Hey, brother, you can buy me one drink, man. Kimo, I bet back in those days you were wearing like psychedelic printed polyester shirt open down to your stomach, <laughs> dancing in the disco, right? That's right. That's Where? it. That's it in the disco and having fun. Wait, look, here's more. The bridge. Which it's Aloha Friday, no work till Monday. So what he did was he repeated it twice, and that was the chorus. And I said, you know, nah. I don't want to do that. He goes, what? I said, yeah, let's try something. So that's what happened. It's Aloha Friday. No work till Monday. I did dead deadly do. Thank you. And thank you for asking. Thank you. <laughs> Got some pokey on the side while mom was trying to hide the miller and the hind that can It's the low of Friday, no work till That was local musician Kimo Kahoano sharing the story behind the Aloha Friday song. He spoke with HPR's Noe Tanigawa. And that's it for our time today, but we want to know what aloha means to you. Give us a call on our talkback line, 808-792-8217. Email works too, talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. And you want to listen back to something you heard on our air, find our archive shows online. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow for more of the conversation.